Today is Thursday, December 18th, 2014, and this is episode 97 of the Defensive Security Podcast. For this episode, we are doing something a bit different. We have recorded a joint episode with another podcast crew. Uh, That other podcast is called Breaking Down Security, and uh, without further ado, here is uh, that discussion. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Brian and Mr. Betcher and two very special friends with us, Andrew Callett and the other guy, Jerry Bell, um, <laughs> from uh, Breaking, uh, Breaking Down Security and uh, Security, Defensive Security. So, there you go. Oh, God. This is it's going so well. It's going if so- you had sent him some swag, he could have gotten this right. I know, right? I, I don't have I, I have to send you a pen, I guess. Yeah, so we uh, this was the first uh, anniversary, uh, and hopefully it'll be more of uh, breaking down security and the second anniversary of defensive security. That's right. So we decided to have a like an extravaganza year end review, uh, you know, basically shoot the shit. So the def- breaking down securities format is going to be a little different this time, at least. So so uh, why don't you explain for uh, for uh, my listeners? Uh, Andy and I's listeners, what, what your podcast is all about. Thank and you. for the record, that was Jerry Bell's voice. That was Jerry Bell. Yeah, and, that was Andrew Callett. I am Andrew Callett. Yes. yes. And we're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you decided to grace us uh, with, uh, with your presences. So, um, breaking down security. Um, me and Mr. Betcher, his name is also Brian, so I call him Mr. Betcher because that's who he is. Uh, we noticed that there was a lack of, at least where we lived, a, a lack of good education and in the information security field. Uh, we would have people of varying degrees of knowledge at ISSA and uh, OWASP meetings and people asking us questions like, is OpenSSL really free software? So... Uh, also, in an effort to market ourselves, I decided to start breaking down security in a uh, to to get ourselves out there because um, we needed we're to market beasts. ourselves for better. Yeah, we're selfish bastards, and we wanted to get better jobs, which worked for me. Not so much for Mister Betcher yet. So Mister Betcher is looking for jobs. So if anybody's needing a security guy, we're trying to get him away <laughs> from his current organization. And where really? does he live? He lives in Austin, Texas, but oh. he will work anywhere. And for peanuts. Nice. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. <clears throat> nice joke. Nice I, joke. So, how did how did defensive security get started, and, and why did you uh, did you have an impetus for starting it, or did you just want to do the same thing like us and marketize yourselves? Um, well, I, I, obviously, there's always a, a selfish aspect to uh, to putting this much personal effort and, and money into something, but. Uh, I, I had actually started listening to podcasts probably about three or four years ago on yeah. security podcasts. And, and at the time, Information Security Daily was going on and Paul.com 
now Security Weekly was going on. And one thing I noticed is that all of the podcasts out there, um, with with almost no exceptions, were very, very laser focused on either kind of the, you know, the skateboarding dog, stupid information security stories, or it was about um, penetration testing offensive techniques. And, you know, the w- talking about the latest exploit or, or, you know, what, what, whatever, uh, you know, whatever thing in that vein. And there was just a, a, a total lack from, at least from my perspective, of anything really useful for the defenders. And I know that there's a, a really gigantic market and a growing market out there for, you know, for people who are in the, the defender space. And so, uh, at the same time, I was seeing all of these companies and uh, government organizations being compromised, and, and the reports of those compromises are being, you know, made very public. And it just struck me as a as a really fortuitous opportunity to to talk about things that are are impacting other companies and kind of drill into it and and learn lessons and and communicate it. And at the same time, uh, for me personally reading and, and, and kind of uh, going through those scenarios in my mind, you know, makes makes me a better a better person. And then, you know, I started talking to uh, to Andy about this idea. And, you know, Andy and I have known each other for a long time, probably almost longer than we've not known each other, which is kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, at this point. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, I, I worked for Andy for a while. He worked for me for a while. We worked together for a while. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we're, uh, we're very comfortable, I think, uh, interacting with each other. So it was kind of a natural fit. And, uh, you know, we, we came together and, and I think it's been about a year and a half now that you've been with us. Wow. So. Yeah. My motivation really was to ride Jerry's coattails was primarily That's, my goal there. Which, yeah. I mean, which is really been how it's been for a long time so it's really it's true really short coattail right really short <laughs> you know once you find a winning formula you just stick with it and no but everything jerry said i i agree with and, and, and for me personally it's nice to have a long form platform to really articulate thoughts and really yeah. I, I agree 100 percent with what jerry said too the more i do this the more it's making me a better i think i hope security guy to have a more holistic and you know, kind of honest view of things and not get too bogged down in the marketing of various vendors crap. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Me and me and Mr. Betcher tried to, uh, I try not to, to, to deal with the punditry. I mean, one of the reasons we haven't entertained sponsors cause we don't want to lose that. You know, we don't, we don't want to be, Hey, you know, Product A is the best thing next to sliced bread when, in fact, it's a piece of shit or something. You say that now, but the first uh, vendor who comes with a big I check, know. you know, you, I know. you say that. I know. You're going to get sucked in eventually if, you, if we ever get any good. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. We're not, we're not that good yet. So, um, no, so, I know for me, um, you know, I've learned quite a bit. I've extended my knowledge quite a bit in security and it's, it's really paid off. So the time I've spent with this guy here, um, you know, time well spent, right? Yeah. And you know, I've only known him two years. He actually hired me at the company we used to work at. Um, I probably socially engineered him in some way that he thought I knew what I was doing. 
Um, but yeah, we're, we're not so much educating uh, others as we're educating ourselves. That was the other reason we wanted to get on and, and do things. You know, we, we do videos of, of NMAP and, you know, um, we try to market to the folks who are in IT who may want to break into IS or that compliance guy who wants to understand some of the security tools that the information security folks are using because, you know, compliance is not security, as we all know. So so where, where can people who, who follow defensive security find your podcast? Um, you can go to www.breakingsecurity.com. Now, my last name is Break like on a car, B-R-A-K-E. So um, I had to use that somewhere in this podcast, so it became the name. So it's Breaking, B-R-A-K-E-I-N-G, security.com. And we also have an RSS feed, so just put breakingsecurity.com forward slash RSS. There you go. Yep. And uh, for breaking down security fans, how do we get a hold of defensive sec? You can uh, find us on the internet at www.defensivesecurity.org and uh, on Twitter at defensive sec. All right. So we're doing, we are going to talk a little bit about the current news and maybe a little of the news of the year, you know, things that we, um, you know, thought was noteworthy with regard to news, and then uh, maybe a little bit about, uh, you know, our thoughts. Our thoughts, yeah. And I got some reports because I went to B-Side Seattle, so I'll talk about that at the end as well. So, all right. So since uh, since the news thing is kind of your guys' gig, let's let's go ahead and let you let you do that. Sure, sure. So um, I, I would say certainly since uh, our last episode last week, Sony continues to be, I would say, <laughs> front and center in the news. Um, although interestingly, we haven't learned an incredibly uh, incredible additional amount of what actually happened. Yeah, a lot of the news from Sony is more about the salacious details being dug out of various people's emails and documents that are getting revealed. Uh, which I could certainly talk to the ethics of that, but not a whole lot on the infosec side. No. Yeah, I heard I heard something about that. The the president of Sony was talking crap about Angelina Jolie or something. Yeah, I, I'm I'm loath to get into that stuff because I don't see a lot of journalistic value or infosec value in digging through somebody's diary and yeah. reporting the drama. Yeah, uh, internal emails are internal for a reason, you know. There's a lot of people who disagree with me on this point. I will tell you that. I've gotten into some massive Twitter debates over this. You know, there there are uh, – this is a tough nut, right? Because on the one hand, I, I would agree that, it, you know, somebody calling Angelina Jolie, uh, you know, some some name is – in a in a otherwise private email setting is – Probably not newsworthy, but one of the things that did come out, which I think is newsworthy, and and really something that I think a lot of companies wrestle with and probably need to think about um, in hindsight now that we've seen what happened with Sony, is that it's come to light that Sony had a breach in February of 2014 Mm -hmm. where about 40, uh, I think 47,000 employees, I, I believe they were Latin American employees, had their data stolen in a in a what appears to be a separate breach you know there's really no good indication if these are related or not my first my first instinct by the way was that they're probably related but you know we don't really we don't really know 
But some of the interesting uh, aspects were that Sony apparently had talked themselves into not disclosing it. And one of the interesting things that happens when you have your email laid bare like this is that people get the opportunity to kind of second guess uh, some challenging legal decisions that that you make. And I, I do wonder, because companies make decisions like this all the time, and I, I, I think it's very important for people to understand that this is not unique to Sony. Companies make risk-based decisions about what they are and are not going to report all the time. And this just happens to be a situation where we saw, you know, we saw it happening. And I'm not defending Sony at all. I just don't want people to think that Sony is some exceptional case uh, because I don't think they are. Well, I think a bit of a challenge here is that we've crossed boundaries out of our genre media and we've got things like the Hollywood Reporter, E! Online, you know, BuzzFeed, all these folks who are normally reporting in the entertainment industry suddenly getting a lot of juicy details about a major production company in their world and trying to wrestle with understanding the InfoSec stuff that they're not used to talking about or, or discussing. And it's always ugly when you start getting folks who aren't familiar with this getting involved, in my opinion. Uh, not that I'm being elitist about it. I'm just saying it's not it's not the beat they're used to covering. So they're going to stumble a bit in my mind. And I don't know. I, I, I do think there is some interesting stuff here worth reporting on. I just see this gleefulness in some of the media of digging through this stuff for malicious things they can report on that doesn't necessarily further the story. And I think if any organization had all of their internal emails dumped, I think we would see similar type comms at most companies. Uh, absolutely. I think that's a right, really important different. That's a really important uh, distinction because I, I think you're absolutely right. W- any given company has a lot of crap in their email system. And that's one of the that's one of the reasons I I did want to talk about that a little bit because again, companies wrestle with this stuff all the time and I know um you know particularly from talking with my friend Bob um that there's a lot of of attorney client privilege communication that happens over email and you know I don't know specifically in the case of Sony if a lot of that or any of it was uh part of what was dumped but I do wonder if this is really going to start changing the way those dynamics between uh you know corporate lawyers and uh, you know, information security people who often interact very closely. I, I just wonder how that dynamic is going to change now. So, you know, it might also um, retention policies could be fixed too. You know, if they could, if they could say that this email is not operationally significant. You know, or um, you know, we'll only keep emails for such an amount of time or only for certain people. You know, um, who knows what kind of other stuff is going on? I mean, you've got. People sending, you know, joke emails, or you might find out, hey, the chief of operations of Sony is a racist bastard. He's sending out, you know, sexist, and you know, he was sexually harassing people. So I think you may see a, a change, at least in their email policies as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. That's a that's a hard pill to swallow for for companies because you know they're going to keep they're going to keep as many emails as possible because if something ever comes up, they've got 
proof that, oh, so-and-so said something or so-and-so was going in this direction. You, you see a lawsuit between the CEO and the CISO going on about emails. I, I just don't see it. I think everybody wants to keep this data forever just in case. At some level, I think that's going to have to be decided by on a on a organization by organization basis based on the risk tolerance of the management team. I had I worked I reported to the chief operating officer of a company uh, quite some time ago, uh, back in the mid two thousands, and uh, you know one of the things he he uh, he was very insistent on was that we implement a 30-day retention policy. Email gets purged, expunged after 30 days. And it was extraordinarily controversial. And uh, and his, his logic was, you know, if you take any given person's email archive, you could probably convict them of just about anything. If, if yeah. you had, if you had an, you know, a, 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 an adequately shady attorney uh, you know, parsing what, parsing the things that are in your email. So, uh, you know, it's the, I guess there's two sides to every story. I think you're absolutely right, Brian, that, that, um, companies do use emails kind of a vault for things, you know, to go, to go back to them. And I do that personally. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad habit, but you know, especially in a corporate setting, it's awfully damn nice to be able to go back and say, you know what? You did tell me. Some you know this right. this thing, and here's the proof. Or you know, I did tell you that, and here's the proof. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect example of operational use and ease of use versus security. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And where and where you draw that line. Yeah. So, uh, all that being said, on on the flip side, there's a lot of stuff going on with the, at least we think, the guardians of peace, the people who did the hack. The trouble here is it's really difficult to know when these statements come out if they truly are. This group, there's no sort of authentication. They keep releasing data. They're promising to release more data. They came out with a threat against the employees of Sony and said, "Hey, if you send us your email address and say you don't back your your managers or send us an email, we'll uh, we'll leave you alone." I, I don't think anybody took them up on that. And then today they came out and said that they're going to somehow commit kinetic terrorist acts against movie theaters on Christmas Day, showing the interview. If this was that group, I am incredibly skeptical of their capability or intent to actually commit that sort of act. Yeah, and they just turned themselves into a joke by saying, oh, you know, we're going to spread terroristic threats. Because now by spreading those terrorist threats, you know, now they can get the FABI and, you know, the, the you know, in, internal, which is supposed to be internal, like, you, you know, law enforcement getting involved for even making those kinds of terroristic threats. So they've only made it worse on themselves, I guess, if they weren't worse enough already. So, I still would love to know what the original point behind this was. This clearly is a very personal attack. Yeah. To dump this level of data and being this malicious, it's definitely a different motivator than what we see from most attacks. Yeah. So, I, you know, one of the, another, I, I'm always, when I look at these stories, one thing I always look for is what is, what is this going to drive? What kind of change is this going to drive? And I, I'll tell you, I think that Sony is going to be the biggest thing impacting corporate boardrooms since Edward Snowden. And, you know, the Edward Snowden debacle, you know, sent 
boardrooms into a tailspin about what the hell are we going to do to keep our confidential information away from those stinking contractors, which is completely ridiculous and, and remains completely ridiculous to this day. Uh, and I, I, I wonder how Sony is going to manifest itself in, into, uh, into that kind of venue as well, because it's going to happen. I just wonder, you know, what exactly is the platform going to be? Is it, you know, is it going to be a, you know, something that's sane or is it going to be something that is, you know, kind of wacky, like the whole contractor angle? Um, you know, one of the, one of the big challenges we have here is we don't actually know what happened, at least with the data theft, right? Uh, and there's, there's lots of rumor that it was actually an insider, you know, but I'll tell you, if they did still terabytes of data, that's, you know, it's, it's probably difficult to do, uh, with, you know, let me say it differently. It's much easier to do with, uh, USB drives in your pocket than mm-hmm. going out there, uh, their internet connection. So, yeah, cause there was a lot of rumors and a lot of FUD. Like, um, initially there were reports that the PlayStation network, which went off, I guess that went off as well, but that was a separate incident with another different group that was Lulz, not Lulz. It's, uh, no, that Lizard. was Lizard Squad. Lizard Squad, yeah. But there was ideas that their Amazon instances were being used to help, you know, torrent the data out of, of which, Sony, which was found out to be fake, uh, from what I gathered. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, there's so much going on with this, so much FUD. I mean, I don't know if it's generated by people who just want to be right, like uh, the the first group to mention North Korea. Um, you know, they were trying to. If, if we're helping, if the media is helping to manufacture just as much of a, a reputation hit as, you know, Sony did to themselves, you know, which one is actually worse, the manufactured or the, the actual in this case? It, it's, you know, it's, it's really difficult. And I, I have to imagine that this is going to be a well-inspected uh, case study for a long time. And I do think... That, uh, if one of, if there is a lesson coming out of this, it's that Sony did a really terrible job of managing the message. And, you know, I, I really think that one of the, one of the lessons companies are probably going to take away from this is that they need to, they need to have a better plan for managing PR. And I, I bet you some of the crisis communication companies are, you know, that's probably where you want to invest your, 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 uh, your, your investment <laughs> dollars coming up because, you know, that's they're they're going to probably ma- be making some money now. Well, it clearly a, was a, a PR move. I mean, they the Guardians of Peace have sent, if you believe them, that it's all them. Most of their communiques directly to media outlets. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, the information uh, they pulled in Mandiant, which uh, you know that's kind of the go-to these days whenever a company gets you know uh, totally tits up. But you know, I. I I read that letter that Kevin Mandia sent the Sony executives and I, I don't know if I'm, I'm just jaded in my older age, uh, cause I'm, you know, nearing about 150, but, uh, it sounded like he was treating them as children, you know, like, Oh, it was so sophisticated. There was nothing you could do to, to fix it. Do you think he was blowing smoke up their ass when he was giving this to them to try to make them feel better? Or, uh, you know, I can't help but think that, he should have known better than to send something like that because it doesn't really 
add any value to his company by him sending the message in the first place. No, but it adds a ton of value to Sony, and I bet you Sony paid dearly for that letter. Really? Something has smelled wrong to me about that letter from the men and I wrote it. I don't know what. I can't put my finger yeah. on it, but something is off there. It, it yeah. felt like a, it felt like a you know uh, a, a guy who is trying to comfort his son who ended up last place in a ball game or something. You know, oh sorry, son. You know, tap on the head. You you did the best that you could. You know, you'll do it again next year and try even harder, and you still suck at it. <clears throat> I. I don't know that they possibly could have known that at that point in the investigation either. Mind you, I wasn't in, you know, involved yeah. with it, so yeah. I, I have yet to hear anything confirming – well, it's not that I don't believe that letter happened. I just would love to hear some explanation on out of Mandiant for that letter, mm. but I don't think that's ever going to happen at this point. Well, it'll be, it a, thin, it'll be a thinly veiled uh, – you know. Um, uh, case study and the Mandiant report that'll be out in February, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Some entertainment company who shall remain nameless. So if I, if I had to, uh, if I had to go off on a wild speculation tangent for a second, that letter felt to me like Sony finally hired a PR company. Uh, a crisis crisis communication company. It's you know for an eight you know eight figure incident response contract you get a you don't suck at your job email that you can distribute to your staff and which is knowingly going to be leaked outside and is knowingly going to be ridiculed by most of the you know rationally thinking information security world but yeah you but know we're point zero zero one percent of the population yeah and and it's also going to probably be admitted or admitted into court. In, into some lawsuits as evidence and things like that. So, you know, it's, I, I'm sure it's a strategic move. Um, but, you know, we, that's all, that's all hyperbole on my part. I, I don't have anything yeah. to base that on. Probably why Mandy will never be a sponsor of the Breaking Down Security Podcast. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we've, we've offended every other company. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's really kind of catching up to the current state of uh, of Sony. There, there again. I think there's a, a looming threat of lots more data to be released. I can't imagine what more they would have. Uh, maybe more movies, but all the emails out there, all their financials are out there. Uh, several unreleased movies are out there. I don't think all the emails out there. That what they dropped today was the OST file of the CEO. Oh, okay. I'm, I guess I misunderstood that then. Yeah, I think a lot of emails out there. But I'm I'm, I'm guessing if you believe the forty terabyte number, I wonder if that's a bunch of OST files. Wouldn't surprise me. Could be. Yeah. That's a lot of PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. But you're right. We we don't know. That's right. So, uh, so I guess that's, that's really from my perspective, the, the big highlight on news. And I know since it's at the end of the year, one, one of the things we wanted to talk about was kind of recapping, uh, the year. And, and, um, you know, we, we have, we made some notes here. And one of the, one of the first one, first things I'll ask and we can go around the room is, you know, what do we, what do we know now that we didn't know this time last year? Mm. Anybody want to go first? I'll go. Sure. Well, let me see. It started out with Heartbleed, 
and then Poodle, and then Poodle version two electric boogaloo. Poodle NG. And, yeah. Poodle the quickening or whatever. And, uh, but you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I just can't trust any version or any implementation of SSL or TLS at this point. I mean, um, you know, Heartbleed pretty much killed V3, SSL V3, which was holding on by a thin string. And then Poodle, you know, basically affects, um, you know, what was left of, of, of the V3 and, and part of TLS, like 1.0 and 1.1. And then version 2, anything earlier than 1.2 is pretty much suspect and easy to hack. So I've actually gotten to tell my boss at work that anything that we have to do where we're sending data, you know, any software that we use that uses encrypted channels, quote unquote, we should probably be encrypting the data and using the encrypted channel. Because I don't, I don't believe that, um, that SSL and TLS are, are anywhere secure a- at all, ever. Even, even if we've had Libra SSL and Boring SSL that Google has, um, you know, both they created Boring and OpenBSD, you know, made Libra, but I don't, I don't trust anything that's going on through an SSL tunnel these days. Yeah, and all. then uh, Microsoft had S channel, their S channel bug. And the S channel thing, yes. Yeah, um, anything earlier than TLS 1.3, I think at this point is, uh, you know, unless we're using perfect forward secrecy, certificate pinning, and HSTS, I can't imagine using just a straight old SSL cert for anything these days and giving it any kind of trust. So so I'm going to be controversial and say I, I don't think, uh, for for the most part, most of that matters. In what way, sir? <clears throat> there... If you if you put yourself in the position of someone who wants to exploit the poodle bug, I mean certainly S channel is a bit different because it's the possibility of remote code execution, but but for specifically focusing on poodle right now, it, it's a man in the middle attack, and it it effectively lets you get for the most part we believe uh, some of the some of the initial bytes of the 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 exchanges which are where your cookies are going to sit and so that's a bad thing right mm-hmm. i would propose that if you are in a position to run man in the middle attacks like that there are far more effective uh things for you to do and and so I, you know i i've not heard of any anyone or any organizations leveraging poodle i i still think that for the most part um, it, it is, uh, it's kind of an academic thing. Certainly it's, you know, it's not great, right? But from an attacker perspective, there's much easier, much better, uh, things to go after. So, um, you know, and if I were, so let's, as an example, right? I have, uh, the defensive security site has a, it runs SSL, right? I, I don't care if, if somebody, can sniff, uh, you know, the SSL traffic of people downloading my podcast. That, and I don't think most people do either. There are a, a, a relatively limited set of organizations, I think, who are, you know, who, who are probably in a position where they need to be really paranoid about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, I don't think it's a general, a generalized issue. And I know a lot of companies are also fretting about this for, for, you know, for internal systems 
And I would say if you have people man in the middling your internal network traffic, you also have other problems that are probably much more significant than Poodle. Yeah. So that's no, my agree. that's my uh, that's my take. I like to be now, controversial. I will preface the whole not trusting SSL thing because the company that I work for now currently, the data that we're passing over that encrypted SSL connection is not something we want out in the open. So sure, you know, from a client to us, if the client's got somebody intercepting the information, you you know. That's why, I mean, we don't want to trust our SSL connection. So there are specific use cases where you don't want to trust any kind of SSL connection regardless. Yeah, I, I, I won't disagree with that. Yep. So what'd you learn, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bell? Um, well, a couple things. I'd say just generalized, uh, typified by Heartbleed and Shellshock and, and uh, whatnot, that there's a lot of old software that's just hanging out that has bugs waiting to be found. And you know what was interesting about Shellshock? About a month after Shellshock came out, and by the way, Shellshock and Harpley were, were life-altering events for me personally. They were, they were uh, very high-demand uh, events, let's just say that. Uh, Shellshock was interesting because I found a, I found a forum, a, a I think it was an email. Actually, it was an email list from 1996 where people were discussing the Shellshock uh, bug. And uh, it was going out around on Twitter. And I actually think, I, I need to go back and look, but I actually think that, uh, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the the WikiLeaks guy was one of the people participating yep, in the was. discussion. It was Julian Assange. Yeah, yeah, yeah Julian yeah. Assange. Black blacked out on his name there for a second so you know and at the time they you know they basically said you know look at this thing you probably ought to go fix that at some point and that that was almost yeah, 20, 20 years ago that was the end of it right yeah yeah just fell off the it just fell off the edge yeah two three posts and then silence so so i i do wonder how much more there is of that and and i think Shellshock in particular pointed out I, what I would say is is probably the, the stereotypical problem we're going to find in that uh, we're, we're using code that was written a long time ago in ways that it was never intended to be used, sure. and so we're so we're just finding holes in use cases. So that's uh, I would say that's well. I guess the, the other thing is that uh, vulnerabilities can be marketed. Oh yeah. And uh, and that drives me crazy. So, Mr. Kellett, what do you think? Yeah, you guys touched on a lot of good stuff already. Uh, I think the one thing I would add that you haven't touched on is the concept of a massive, unexpected exploit and mass patching is a new concept that I think uh, I kind of got my head around Great this, point. this year. Great point. And... Uh, you know, to use your favorite term, that black swan event <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Who who did the black swan thing? Was that uh, Rafal and them over at uh, DTR? Did he make I, the black swan I'm thing? Not, I'm not sure. I, I you know, it, it's a term from from the financial world yeah, originally. Uh, there, there's oh, okay. there's uh, a uh, there's yeah. a a guy named Nassim Taleb uh, who wrote a book actually called Black Swan, and it is it's uh it's about statistics and and 
uh, risks and probabilities. And it's a really interesting and controversial read. Um, hmm. And yeah. Jerry loves the term. I, favorite. I, I just love the term and the concept. And, and, that, and by that, I mean I don't. <laughs> so. So, so for me, uh, not to cut you off, Jerry, but just for interest of time, uh, coming to terms with okay, you're not going to see it coming, you can't forecast it, you don't know what it's going to be, but something big might happen that's industry-wide, how are you going to cope with it? Is something I'm still getting my arms around. Mm. Yep, good one. Okay. So what about you, Mr. Betcher? So, so for me, um, it's, it's, it's about open-source software. Uh, evidently, it's not very tested and not very trustable. Uh, oh in general. my God, we're going to have the gray beards after us. Yes. And then, um, <laughs> you know, it, we, we had just assumed that since it was open, everyone was, everyone had eyes on it. And that just turned out not to be true. And, and we've touched on Heartbleed, yep. Shellshock, and uh, OpenSSL and all that. So, yeah, that's my takeaway from this year is, um, if you want to use open source software, I mean, um, I don't know. It's a, it's another risk. Were you hiding, were you hiding in the B sides panel and it's in B side Seattle because that exact point came up. Is that right? Yeah. Mm, well, cool. Well, the concept behind open source being more secure is that many eyes are looking at it. You can code on it. And something I've been saying for years is who's actually bothering to code on it? Yeah, nobody. nobody. Until until something like, you know a bug comes up and then they scramble over it and that code's probably relatively secure for a little while. Yeah. Like how many new bugs did we find after the bash bug came out in the same segment of code? A ton. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll also say that, um, it, particularly in encryption algorithms and whatnot, the number of people who can reasonably look at and audit, uh, in code that in implements encryption algorithms is, is pretty small. You know, you're, you're not going to have, the average the average Joe is not going to be able to open up uh, the innards of OpenSSL, uh, at least the parts where they are implementing the encryption, uh, the, the actual encryption algorithm, and determine that there's some you know sp- specific weakness. It's just not practical, and uh, you know. So, I, but I think the reality is that what we're finding is that most likely the that open source and commercial and closed source are probably close to on par right you know we the the balance of of power or weakness doesn't seem to be heavily in one in in one side or in favor of one side or the other it's you know they're both they're both kind of sucky um there is one other observation that i'll make for the year and it's kind of in in the line of what andy said and that is that uh we've also we've all also seen instances where you have a pretty significant vulnerability out there and no patch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that induces a lot of hand-wringing. And we've talked about that on our pack, podcast a couple of times. You know, what do you do? You have, uh, you know, this, this shell, stupid shell shock thing is out there. You've got a system that you know is vulnerable. You can't patch it. It's really important. What do you do? So. Well, yeah, I think the key there is you got to think outside of just patching as your only possible reaction. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But that's but that is the historical 
one button, one security button that we have to push. You know, well, I guess we have two. We got antivirus and patching. Yeah. Well, you also, you know, at at that point, you've got to think about access controls. You've got to maybe, you know, even change operating systems if you wanted to be drastic. Because you know, during the whole shell shock thing, you just heard, you know, Microsoft over here, you know, their their thumb in the pie, going, "Yeah, look at us. (laughs) We're not vulnerable. Suck all y'all." You know. So. The other thing I'd say is that clearly the credit card uh, processors have the best fraud detection technology of anybody out there. That's that's the other thing I've learned this year. Uh, it's very true. That is very <laughs> so, true. It's about protecting the data, right? And and they so, know how to get a hold of Brian Krebs. Yes, they do. A joke. They got him on the red phone or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dang. Yeah, he, he you know, his, uh, his stock is rising. I remember when he was on... One of the early episodes of uh, Paul Security Weekly, and he was just, you know, or no, he was on, um, sorry, Risky Business, and he was just some, you know, guy who was working at a at a, a newspaper, and now he's, you know, a household name. If it, you know, if it's a if it's a breach, call Brian Krebs, you know, that kind of thing. That's right, that's right. So, uh, so what else? What other uh, things do we think we know now that we uh, didn't know before? Uh, I know that I need to work on learning how to do code audits or finding or making, you know, myself knowledgeable on it and then sharing it with other people. Because as we talked about with the open source, Mr. Betcher brought up, I don't think there's any real good lessons or training out there on how to properly do code audits. It may not be that we're not doing code audits because we, you know, they're not glamorous. They're just maybe a bunch of people that just don't know how to do a proper code audit. So they're just kind of, you know, hoping that that Katrina level event or that shell shock level event doesn't happen to them. And if it does, then they update the resume and they go somewhere else. So one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm stealing myself to, to do, which I really don't want to do, but I know it's something I need to do is learning how to do a proper code audit, which means I'm going to have to go back to the basics, understanding, you know, structures of C or Python and, and, and Perl and, you know, Ruby code and stuff like this in an effort to, you know, get friendly with the developers and, and make it happen. Well, there's plenty of companies you can hire that that's all they do all day. Blah. <laughs> Blah. Okay, fair enough. I don't give out charity. By God, I need to know how to do this shit. Well, you know, you can't know everything. Yeah, see, you know what? I've been told that that hurts me, being a generalist. I've been told I'm a generalist, like it's a four-letter word. No, it's just, it's really tough to go that deep into being a really good code auditor if you also have a bunch of other skill set you have to maintain. Right. Well, you know, it's probably one of my CISSP domains, so I could, you know, use that as... (laughs) (laughs) it's going downhill indeed so we'll move on to uh you know the favorite part of any sort of year-end gig is is our uh predictions what what do we think will happen in 2015 more 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 retail breaches i'm betting theme songs for viruses and malware Mm. what again what again what again what again (laughs) get it the logos will the, the logos will advance to animated gifs Oh yeah, like chibis, you know, like with the yeah. Well, nice. I, you know, we we joke, but just today we saw the the stupid Grinch thing, you know, which was yeah. which was a, a, what I would say 
in my professional opinion, a big nothing. And you have a company trying to spin it as something big. They gave it a name. I don't know if they have a logo and they're trying to make hay about it. I do think that is going to become a thing. And I think that, you know, I don't know how much longer the mainstream news is, is going to ride on that. You know, I don't know if it's going to be the shark story or if it's people are just going to get over it. Um, but you know, the, the issue with Heartbleed and Shellshock and others is that it, it, you know, it rode a wave of media attention. And I really think that, uh, that has a, a very high probability of carrying over into next year. And, and I think that's a bad thing in, in general. I think, uh, compliance is going to get a lot tougher. Here you have companies talking about how, um, you know, we were PCI compliant, but we still got breached. Um, and, and there, there's hints of them suing their, um, you know, their auditors and things because they didn't find this or they didn't do that. Um, I think it's going to get a lot tougher for companies to, um, get that certification that says or that report on compliance um that's my thought so being a qsa is going to get even harder you're thinking or more expensive or both both they have to carry liability (laughs) big time liability insurance yeah yeah it's a it's a lot more risk yeah the insurance is going to go up and you know the cost of of actually becoming compliant is going to go up and then it's going to be harder well that factors into the cost, of course. It's going to be harder to achieve those uh, yeah. compliance. Well, you know, the other now. thing is, and this is the the part of the podcast that everyone else gets to where we get to bitch about PCI, but, you know, PCI 3.0 just came out, and it's going to be enacted, like, January 1, but it's got no more it's got no more teeth than, two, uh, two, you know, the old version did. I mean, they've added a few things having to do with hardware and stuff because of, uh, I guess, that was helpful for Target, but... There's no more teeth in it than it was before. They need to do like uh, with the healthcare, with um, you know the Office of Civil Rights, where they started going in and auditing people and just levying heavy fines on people who were not PCI compliant. Because as somebody who's had to go through PCI audits before, you're, I don't think there's any real teeth to the to the the, the you know the the ramifications of not passing your PCI requirements or you just that's, drag out your audit long enough and you finally get it because you're that's intentional keep yep. in mind the PCI council wants you to use credit cards they have a vested interest in using credit cards they're sure. it's counterproductive to them to shut you down or to find you so much that you're going to say the hell of it they have a dual mandate of promoting the use of credit cards and keeping them secure so they're at odds with themselves True. And you know what? Here's, there's another thing. We've talked about this too on the podcast. It, it, it's a really psychotic problem because we talk about, you know, we talk about, you know, 56 million credit cards at Home Depot and 40 million credit cards at Target and, you know, and on and on and on. Those are the, that's the number of cards that were stolen, right? That is not the number of cards that had fraud, had fraudulent use. And so, so the, the groups that PCI, you know, sworn to protect are the card brands. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, you know, Visa, MasterCard, those, those guys. And those guys are the one, you know, they are, um, you know, they have pretty good fraud systems and, you know, and, and they are, uh, for all, as far as I know, they still have quite low 
rates of credit card fraud. You know, and, and, and the reason is that they have pretty good fraud detection systems. And so they're, they're finding these things relatively early, early and shutting them down. And I know in the tar, in the case of Target, I want to say the numbers were something like $43 million in fraudulent charges and something like uh, 80 or $100 million in card reissuing costs. And, you know, one of the observations I'd make is that there, there doesn't seem to be anybody looking out for those issuing banks that have to eat the card costs. So, you know, it's, it's really an interesting thing because I don't think the card brands look at this as, you know, obviously it's a, it's a PR problem, but I don't think that they're, they're not dying, right? They're not, they're just not, I don't think they're suffering that bad, right? Because if they were suffering that bad, they would have an impetus to change. They would be the ones doing something that to drive change in the PCI, and they're not. And you know, I, and I, so I think that speaks very loudly for their position. And I think what we are seeing playing out in the courts right now with Target, you know, who's being sued by a number of issuing banks trying to recoup their uh, their losses for reissuing cards and, and other other things. You know, I think that is where I would say a lot of the the new development is going to 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 come about, and I wonder if that's going to you know we're going to see issuing banks create their own mandate, their own PCI like thing. You know, because they're the ones who are bearing the brunt of this. You think they're going to balkanize it? It's going to be you know, if you want to play with Bank of America, you're going to have to play by X, Y, and Z rules, whereas um, you know, uh, TD or, you know, World Bank or whatever, another bank and certain other banks going to have different requirements for that. So it's going to make it even worse. I, I, it, that, that could happen. I, I would be surprised if that did happen. That'd be really, it, w- it would make the, you know, the payment card networks pretty complicated. I think what's much more likely to happen is that we see, uh, issuing banks t- start teaming up and forming kind of like the car, the kind of like PCI, you know, mm. the you know, PCI was an amalgamation of different companies coming together to levy standards on retailers and, and merchant processors. I'd have to wonder if we're going to see the same kinds of things coming out of issuing banks. I think it's just easier to rely on the lawyers to, to sue the retailers for, you know, their lack of foresight. In breaches, I don't know if they're going to form some cabal. Um, I, I just I don't see it. I think it's much easier to uh, just sue somebody. Well, well, plus whatever whatever they don't get out of the retailers, you know, whatever's left out of the losses that they've had, they just raise the interest rates on the credit cards and get it back through fees from the people. So, you know, we think it's a victimless crime to have your credit card yanked, and you know, like, oh, I don't have to worry about it. My bank's going to pay for everything, and and they're getting it back in the end. Yeah, they're just, they're, we're just not seeing it. You know, they're right. going to raise rates on you know balance transfers, or they're going to you know if you withdraw money from your credit card through an ATM or something, they're you're going to pay say five percent now instead of three and a half percent on on that. So they're going to get their money back and then some because once they put those in, they're going to be loath to lower those again once that happens. So we're going to see the cost of using a card go up on the back end in, 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 in the next uh, few months, I think. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but if you, if you fail PCI as a, as a, as an issuer, um, 
they don't stop you from issuing cards. They just charge you more. Or you, you make know, less they, per transaction. You make less per transaction, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think if we're going to see any real change, it's probably going to be at the retailers themselves. If they get enough pain from lawsuits and things that aren't being covered by their cyber loss insurance, they're going to have to take steps beyond PCI to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah and I, I think you're I think you're right about that, but I will say, and we've talked about this as well, there are probably even more so this is a problem with the smaller retailers mm-hmm. you know and true but the smaller retailers also aren't handling as many cards so it's not as big of a breach yeah fair you know that's fair i just think that the the, the smaller companies don't have a much as much of an opportunity to implement meaningful improvements and they're the ones that are getting owned in, in stupid ways you know by yeah uh, RDP connections being you know, unauthenticated RDP connections to their POS terminals. Well, what I could see there is that eventually, for these small guys, you know, perhaps these card issuers are going to mandate, um, you know, encrypted at point of pin swipe or pin entry and swipe all the way through, and just you know, this is this is the equipment you must use, black box equipment, sort of. Agree with know, that. I do agree with that. Yeah, yeah. certified gear. Well, you know, that stuff's not cheap, which is why the mom and pop stores won't upgrade immediately because each one of the new EMV slash chip and SIG pin thingies are about 2K a piece. And, yep. you know, those are not, uh, you're not going to drop, I don't know, if you've got 15 terminals in your building at two, 2K a pop, you're, you're going to spend $30,000, which, you know, for Target, I've noticed that they have a lot of new chip and slash SIG and pin, you know, terminals on all of their boxes, but... Yeah, if you're Joe, you know, Joe gas station attendant, you know, are you really going to put that kind of skrill into into a brand new terminal for, you know, for that? And you're still going to have gas pumps that got to be retrofitted. I mean, the the infrastructure to put out the the new chip infrastructure is is it's going to take probably another 5 or 6 years before we yeah, get Yeah, it depends on stripes. if they're mandated to do that, you know. That's what's going to come down to. So, government intervention is what you're saying, Mr. Bash. Well, I would say more that the, you know, the the card issuers or the processors or whoever may subsidize some of those costs if they really want those guys to be up on a, on a more secure platform. Yeah, could well, it could be See? like the the hotel locks. You know, they won't pay. For, you know, the the company wouldn't subsidize the replacement of the locks, so the the hotels had to pay for each lock. Right. And then, oh, so the hotel said, "Yeah, we're not gonna we're gonna change them. They're just gonna stay, you know, vulnerable." So nice. Um, hopefully that won't be that way with the uh, credit card vendors. So, and that has been the year end edition of let's bitch about <laughs> PCI. Yes. So moving on from PCI. Yes. Uh, my prediction for 2015 is the government is going to make a play to do national level infosec defense because of foreign entity, cyber war threat, fears, stupidity. Bingo. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I fell in out my blackout card here. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to be successful, but I think they're going to make a play for it. It's coming. Well, I agree. You know, they have they have Cyber Defense Command. You know, they've got the Air Force with their bit. You know, the the FBI's got their cyber security group. Um, yeah, DHS has the mandate now to protect critical infrastructure, which yet has yet to be defined. And that paints a broad stroke, that uh, critical infrastructure. Pretty much you could classify anything as critical infrastructure. That's right. 
every utility, well, internet service provider, you know, all the way down to crossing guards could be critical infrastructure yeah. if you want. Well, yeah, when such. last time they shut down the government, uh, they shut down everything but critical infrastructure. It turned out critical infrastructure was 83% of the government. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is a broad brush. Yeah. So unless I, I think unless they get better guidelines, uh, you know, we're still going to have the same the same issue that we had uh, now. Um, you know, unless the, unless they want to create the you know a TSA like entity that's nothing but cyber warrior oh, yeah. defenders, they'll suck at it. Don't get me wrong; they'll be terrible. Yeah. But they're going to make a power play for it, in my opinion. Yeah. Or at least start to build the. Well, the only way we can help ourselves from things like Sony is if we nationalize this and blah, 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 blah. And then outsource it to Raytheon. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. The KPMG <laughs> of security vendors. Yeah. I don't, I don't in any way believe that North Korea was behind Sony, by the way. I, I'm incredibly skeptical of that statement. But uh-huh. I know. But at a more legitimate level, we are seeing a lot of information theft coming out of China, Russia, etc., and uh, that is getting a lot more visible. And I think that is going to get um, some pressure on the government to do something. Save us. Gl- yeah. <laughs> Save us. And they'll gladly step up and try to do something. And uh, it won't help. Yeah. Yeah, we'll need to have Dave Kennedy go back in again and tell them what they're doing wrong. And then they won't listen to him either again. And, you know. Yep. Uh, all right, Mr. Betcher, what's your prediction-ish thing for 2015 I, and beyond? I already went the compliance frameworks. And oh, stuff. that's right. Are, Who didn't go? We, we done yeah, with that? I think we all went. So uh, themes for – I guess uh, we're probably a little, little out of order, but um, what about themes for 2014? What were – what did you think were the themes we saw in information security for 2014? Uh, we had a couple breaches. Just a few. a few, just a few. Yeah, retailers. Yeah, <laughs> healthcare, community, community health systems. That was a weird one. Community health systems. They found out it was China who actually did it, but that's not usually their mo. There's this IP and and you know defense plans for the F thirty five Joint Strike Fighter and those kinds of things. Taking health records doesn't doesn't make any sense unless they had some you know they were a third party. Who wanted that information? It just, that one that one just seemed odd to me and kind of stuck out. Well, what if, what if, um, and I don't have any particular insight. You know, maybe my friend Bob does. What if community health systems maybe had as a patient some uh, some interesting people? Sure. That China might care to know about their medical history. Mm. Or. What if sometimes bad guys just go after random crap to go after random crap? So they didn't know what they were hacking and, you know, oh, look what I got here. Oh, well, this will come in handy eventually. It's a training run. Hey, there you go. That's right. Yeah, We assume perfect knowledge and perfect motivation. Sometimes it just happens. They do it for the lulls and that's it. eh? (laughs) Or or, uh, just the challenge, you know, keep their skills sharp. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, but I'd say the two big themes were mass breaches and mass phones were the ones that, you know, I would probably chalk down for 2014. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if your if your code spaces, it wasn't a good year for you either. So yeah. that happened back in June. I, I was trying to remember that because I saw I heard about it on Risky Business. But uh, yeah, the value of using uh, two factor off on your Amazon uh, virtual private cloud is very very important because that uh, code spaces was a, a GitHub like um, uh, website for posting snippets of code and, and what have you, like so- software repositories. Somebody got in basically deleted everything and deleted the backups and and basically they had no recourse but to say well we uh quit this bitch and uh that was it so they, they had to board themselves up and then there's no more code spaces which is why you never hear about them anymore yeah it was uh it was that was a particularly bad one because they actually build Vicious. themselves as, as being uh highly redundant and and backed up and what they what it, what ended up being the case was they had they had instances at other data centers, uh, which were all under the same AWS account. And so when when that when that bad guy got in, he just went and deleted everything, including yep, the backups. Everything was under one dashboard, and, and that was it. So yep. So so uh, what were your what, what were your uh, themes for the year, Mister Brake? Uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to have to say, um, the further erosion of, of the trust of the government. I mean, uh, we're not getting, (laughs) we're not getting any more Snowden leaks. You know, Greenwald seems to have decided he wanted to monetize all the, the, the Eddie S stuff that came out, but you know, um, uh, from a physical security sense, sense in the last at least three or four months, I mean, it's all been about. Uh, the negativity of the people who are supposed to keep us safe from a physical sense, you know, law enforcement and, uh, you know, the fact that some people appear to be above the law with regard to uh, government, some government programs. Uh, you know, you had the CIA report come out and, you know, all the all these things that you didn't wish, you know, or were the things of, of Hollywood, you know, where it's like, you know, you got the, the agents who are doing whatever they can to stop the terrorists um, I think you're, you know, and, and then you get law enforcement types who say that using encryption on phones is uh, akin to helping, you know, pedos and, and, and terrorists. You know, I think Eric Holder mentioned that using, uh, you know, having Apple devices with encryption that Apple can't get into. Um, Verizon's got a brand new VPN service that plays friendly with the NSA. Well, what the f*** you want to use that for, you know? If it if, if the NSA can get into it, then China can get into it because they both play from the same playbook. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, at some point we're going to have to, you know, get involved with creating new encryption schemes or new encryption technologies that uh, are basically one way. I mean, you're seeing that a lot in some file sharing companies these days, where they're like. You encrypt everything on your desktop and upload it, and we can't do anything with it. We can't recover anything. Uh, Cubby comes to mind. One is called Cubby. I'm not. Uh, we don't endorse them. I don't know who they are, but we did test them out in my company. Uh, everything was two-factor off. Uh, once you upload it, if you lose the keys, you're screwed. You know they can't even help you get it. You know it's that kind of encryption level. But I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see a lot more having to do with technologies. We we tried the black phone. It failed, of course, uh, almost as quickly as it occurred with the phone to own. Um, but I think we're gonna see a lot more things with 
uh, security. And then in, in the in the likewise, we're also going to see the Internet of Things, which is just a pile of fail, uh, epic pile of fail. So, um, you know, encryption on some things and, and you know, we're going to have the Internet of Things that's going to just continue to fail off awfully. So um, I think that's where I, I, I got this year and uh, and where we're going to where we're going to see that go because the internet of things is still is still a whole mishmash of crap so well you're a pile of happy yeah i yeah. know wow so uh, i mr. know i'm i've been ranty <laughs> i didn't but you mr betcher what did you see as uh, the themes for 2014 well i'll i'll uh, touch on that in a second i just want to touch on something brian mentioned was the the internet of things and and i just want to uh, add to that the probably the willful erosion of privacy along with that, mm. right? Cause, cause you see people get these things and, uh, default passwords on your cameras and things like that. So yeah, the- privacy. And, and I don't, I don't know if, uh, most people care anymore or, or they even know, you know, uh, that their, uh, privacy is being eroded right out from no, under you- them. You make a great point. We yep. care deeply about this, but as I said before, we're point zero zero one percent of the population. Yeah. yeah, the vast majority of people couldn't even know that they don't know or care that they don't care. It's just not even in their frame of of reference. It's yeah, there's it's not uh, their world. I think there's a there's a, a large swath of the population now who are perfectly okay with uh, you know with handing over. Their, uh, you know, their details to the government in an effort to make them safer. And it's growing, you know, and, and, and by the way, I, just to go off on a political tangent for a second, you know, it's interesting because I, I've said this before. I, I see us doing all the things that my dad, you know, long, long ago when he used to tell me about, you know, Russia and East, East, uh, Germany and East Berlin and what happened behind the Berlin Wall. And, uh, you know, it just is, so interesting to you know to see how far we've come <laughs> you know relative to what used to be what we saw as uh, you know as something that stood us apart or separated us apart from the rest of the world in terms of liberty and and things like that and and we just you know we've kind of cavalierly pushed that aside well, we assumed that we were above such things that, you know, we don't, you know, torture. We don't, you know, listen in like, you know, Russia or, or China to people's conversations and what have you. And then, you know, we've got Snowden coming out or we've got, you know, all these different things coming out, finding out that we, in fact, do everything that China does or, or Russia. So, you know, we harp on other countries, human rights, you know, violations when, in fact, we're, you know, basically calling the kettle black at this point and, and we're a pot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and there, there's no real good place to go. I mean, you can't go, well, I'm just going to leave the United States and go here because it's better. You've got Australia doing the same thing with their immigration stuff, you know, and I'm not getting on immigration and, and things, but you, you hear about human rights violations there on the island that they sequestered all the people trying to come into Australia. You know, you've got, all kinds of uh, various things going on that, uh, you know, it seems like all, you know, anarchy, you know, it's all the government's is fault, you know, and they're, they're just doing it because we let them do it on, 
September the 12th, 2001, we wanted them to do whatever they could do to keep us safe. And we forgot to go, okay, we can handle it now. We're good. And, and we did, we, we forgot to tell them that. And they, they continued on with what they were doing is, and, and made it worse. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Um, to my, uh, what, what, what are we talking about? Themes, themes. of 2015. Yes. Oh, 2014. Um, yeah. What did you learn this year, son? Uh, malware. Just <laughs> malware is a big, um, uh, a big thing. It's it's a big deal. And malware wider. It's like a uh, uh, an arms race, right? I think malware is getting better. Uh, we're getting a little bit better at defending it uh, with all these breaches. And and most of the big breaches that we see, I mean, a lot of it had to do with you know getting malware into the environment and uh, pivoting off of that and spreading. I think. Um, you know, malware is going to continue to get better, and we're going to get. Uh, I think the gap is going to widen between defense and uh, the malwareians. <laughs> malwareians, nice. You haven't listened to Michael Goff's interview, have you? Um, that's his. <laughs> that's his term, but he said we could use it. You nice. know, one of the things I was mentioning, you were mentioning about the malware stuff. If I, if I can, go this direction, a lot of the breaches. Probably 99% of them have been companies that are older companies. You've got Target, um, Michaels, Home Depot. All of these companies had older legacy networks. They're huge monolithic organizations that I would probably consider their, their pro- processes very slow, very meandering. They did, you know... I have yet to see a company, a startup, that has had a, a major breach very similar to this. I mean, other than having a password dump like, say, you know, uh, LinkedIn or whatever. Well, how old is Jimmy John's? Yeah, how old is Jimmy John's, Betcher? Aren't they headquartered Shoot, in I Texas? Know. Great. I don't, I don't know. They came on so fast. That's <laughs> true. But, uh, you know, they. I, I, I think... I think one one of my themes is that 1983. Sorry. Okay. Well, I guess they're a little older. They're. Uh, I, I thought they were. I thought they were newer than that. But um, I think I think there's emerging a playbook on how to perpetrate these breaches, and it's it's really becoming commoditized the whole way through. And I think mm-hmm. I really think we're seeing this turn into an economy. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's probably going to keep going, uh, I would think. But if you look at, I bet you if you were to, to really analyze and, and lay Target and Home Depot and PF Chang's and all these other, uh, organizations side by side, you're going to see a lot of similarities that probably indicate that there is a, a becoming a very well refined, uh, playbook on how to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are malware suppliers who are, who are more than happy to, uh, you know, t- to tweak something for the particular environment that you're going into. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I think that is, for me, one of the, one of the really big themes is that the, you know, the, the, this is becoming a very substantial criminal enterprise, uh, and, 
you know, we're, I don't know where it really ends, you know, because, uh, you know, one of the, one of the points I wanted to bring up is that, you know, we, we saw in, in years past, lots of systems being compromised. And what did they do? They installed a Bitcoin miner, right? Because it was an easy thing to do. Well, it's not an economical enterprise anymore. And, and so now it, it's, you know, well, we're not going to install Bitcoin miner. We're going to install something in, that encrypts your files in exchange for Bitcoin. So it's essentially a Bitcoin miner, just in a, in a fundamentally different, uh, form factor. I, I really think that, uh, you know, the, the, the organized crime or the, you know, the, the black market is really turning in, you know, turning in on itself or turning in on, uh, the technology industry as a, is, is a very profitable money making venture. And as defenders, we have, we've got a work cut out for us. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the breaches and everything, it could just be reconnaissance. I mean, how many people go into conventions and they, you know, you hear people talking crap about their companies offline, you know, friend DA kind of stuff. Oh, we don't log this and we don't have anything going on with patches. And sure. You know, we're, we're eight years behind on Java. Tee hee hee. Well, that guy goes and tells somebody who tells somebody who may have an unsavory friend, you know, I'm not saying that that's the way it happens, but, you know, it, it could be just as something as simple as that. You get some guy who wants to vent on Facebook. I mean, the whole idea, and we were talking about this for pen tests, when you're doing reconnaissance, you can find all kinds of things. So if you find out that company X is looking for a new law, you know, a logging system or something, or they've been hitting up certain vendors for certain things that you know that they must be deficient on, or they wouldn't be looking for these things. So, you know, if they're not, you know, if they're looking for a new patching system or, you know, they're looking at uh, log correlation engines or something like that, they may not be doing logging properly. So that would be a way to get in and stay long term to a system, AKA some retailer that we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, yeah, uh, you you did mention playbook. I bet there is special rules or there is a guideline that would work for probably uh, the vast majority of organizations, and it's still working to this day. That because we mentioned uh, what was that one credit card processor? They've been in five years, infiltrated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pay anywhere, cash anywhere, something like that. Charge anywhere, charge anywhere. That's what it is. They've been in 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 inside the system for five years since November two thousand and nine. And this is the classic problem: defender versus attacker. The attacker can be wrong a million times. The defender has to be right every time. Sure, you know, it's a, it's an off made observation, but it still applies. Yeah, yeah. but in that in that the in that the in that something blue teamers use to kind of justify you know losing. Well, no. you can. You can turn that on its head if the um, once the attacker's inside, he makes one mistake, he's caught. Correct. If you're looking for the right thing, yeah. If you know what you're looking for, yeah. But then and that's that's the shift, right? We've got to shift away from prevention into monitoring and containment mm-hmm. detection. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I think at the same time, though, it's a fallacy to think that you know once the once once they're caught, they're gonna you know they're gonna take their ball and go home. <laughs> you know, no, they're gonna. Yeah. They're going to wait a day and then they're going to try something new. Yeah. From, from some other, you know, from some other location. So that's, I think it is a, it, you know, I know a lot of people are very critical about that, uh, you know, about that saying, but I think it, it holds a lot of water. It holds a lot of truth. Those, those of us who are in defensive roles know, 
you know that that is a real problem. We we have to be right every time, and that's a very difficult thing to do. And, and by the way, the other thing that I wanted to to say, as far as a theme that we've we've started to see emerge this year, is the uh, the importance of vendors in in the uh, in the breach you mean cycle. Third party vendor connections. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah so true. you know, Fazio Mechanical with Target and. You know, I suspect we're going to find out more. Some of these other major breaches probably happened as a result of uh, of vendor connections. But you know, that's uh, I really think that uh, going forward, I, I know in particularly in the banking sector that uh, vendor oversight is really starting to to heat up. So I, I expect that this is going to be you know, one of the new frontiers. It certainly was an important uh, important point in 2014, but I think it's going to keep keep getting more important. Yeah. And you know, the um, hospitals and healthcare have definitely started looking at that with regard to their business agreements and refining those things. I, I still keep tabs on the, the healthcare industry. I was a, con- I was a consultant before I worked with Mr. Betcher uh, doing audits for hospitals. And um, you know, I don't know how many times I went into a hospital and asked them, you know, when was the last time you updated your contract with your third party vendors? And they were like, uh, and I was like, well, if you've got to think about it, it's been too long. Or if it's a handshake agreement to take out, you know, the secure documents and shred them for you or burn them for you, you probably need to get something on paper that says, you know, you're doing it and you have a certificate that says it was been done. You know, those kinds of shred it. Yeah. And it's been shredded. Yeah. That's right. So <laughs> yeah. Third party agreements, I agree, are going to be, uh, uh, should be something that they had looked at a long time ago. So, all this being said, what is the one piece of advice you guys would give most companies that they could do better in 2015? Watch Cornhole. All right, that's a show. Thanks. Thanks for coming, everybody. All right. Well, uh, we were doing great until that. Um, anyway, um, I would say, uh, you know, and I'm going to, we did three podcasts with Michael Goff, malware researcher. And one of the big things that he kept talking about was monitoring. And I would say if there's one thing that a company can do, it's to start doing better monitoring, period. You know, if you're not doing it, you just need to do something, whether it be a centralized log management or what have you. But, yeah, monitoring is probably one of the best things you can do. Monitoring your systems for files that change or get added uh, monitoring logs for successes of, of logins, you know, monitoring properly. Don't over, you know, don't get the alerts. I mean, what, what was it, Neiman Marcus, 60,000 events a second or something? They shouldn't have been getting 60,000 alerts a second because that leads to, well, let's just put the little bird to hit the accept on the, you know, on the, on the keyboard, you know, the little water bird. Um, you're going to get, you're going to get apathy at that point or, or people who aren't paying attention to big flashy red light because it's always flashing red. Well, great. So yeah, monitoring, I would say is probably the one thing that I would say companies need to do other than upgrading to windows 10, because if you're on windows seven right now, it's going to take you forever to get to eight. (laughs) Interesting. Nice. I, uh, I, I do agree with your monitoring comment. I, I guess the other, the other, uh, one piece of advice I would give, and, um, you know, I, I hope to give some talks about this in 2015, but is that we need, 
we need more, and, and I hate saying it this way because it sounds very derogatory, but I, we need more competent uh, IT architects mm. that can, that understand the limitations of technology and how technology fails because when you look at some of the fundamental issues that perp or that that enabled target and home depot and many others that i can't talk about um it it, it all comes down to architecture problems you know and and uh i, I you know obviously logging is is very important but i think i think it's even more fundamental than that we just have we have misplaced trust in technology and uh and, and we need to i think we need to get away from that or or at least do a better job of managing it yeah so uh brian kind of took mine the uh detection aspect of it so i guess that's why we do a podcast together we kind of think alike um so i'm gonna i'm gonna shift over to and, and it goes along with your architecture uh jerry is um Hire um, great developers, I think. Uh, train the developers you have uh, on secure coding. I know SANS offers uh, tests that you can give your developers on how well they um, uh, their knowledge of security, uh, secure coding. And that will give you a baseline. And, and uh, you know, developers they just want to – write code that works and they're not necessarily concerned uh in security by default can't even get so on the think, comment uh, i mean let alone do uh, exactly <laughs> so i, I think uh, an investment in uh secure development would pay mass dividends in my opinion so if if you do have a development shop um i think it would be wise to to train your developers and invest in in secure coding nice uh, how about you andy yeah you guys all have great points i would say ideally you've got to shift your mindset and assume you will be breached mm. and war game that out and have a plan so always always work from the vantage point that they're already inside Mm-hmm. So what you're doing now is containment. Give up yeah, the endpoint, yeah. and and having a plan that you know you're not you don't want to be in a panic mode when you're dealing with this, right? It, we're, we're moving into an area of continuous incident response, sure. so it's get your arms around that and start talking about okay, we, where are our assumptions? Back to Jerry's point a little bit. Where what are our assumptions and what's working here? And what if that were to fail? What does that mean? What would we do? For your least most critical functions and data. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, be more skeptical. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Trust but verify and then verify your verification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess we, we've gone about an hour and a half. Shut up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Holy balls. All right. So, uh, right. yeah, it's been yeah. fun. Yeah, because I've got so much I wanted to ask you. I've got other ideas and stuff. We probably need to do another podcast sometime later in the year and talk about – maybe we'll just have one of you on because both of you are just it's too awesome, really. <laughs> <laughs> something. It's too something. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Because I wanted to ask about, you know, papers and stuff, because I've been asked to maybe submit a paper for B-Sides Las Vegas, because uh, my friend now, Tottenkopf, wants me to submit something, and I was like, I don't know how to do a paper, I don't know what the hell to talk about, because I'm not special, and... So maybe maybe we'll have a podcast about that because I know there must be a ton of people out there who are like, I'd love to give a talk, but I don't necessarily know how to give a talk. Find yeah, something you're passionate about. That's that's one thing. That, I mean, because it, it helps, right? Yeah. If you're passionate about it, it's going to come through. That's what you want. Okay. Wow. But yeah, I'd love to do uh, another podcast with you guys anytime. Yeah, cool. Whichever so, one of you is uh, not available, we'll do it that day. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Sounds like a plan. Right well, uh, yeah. Thank you very much uh, for for setting this up. This was uh, this yeah. was a lot of fun. All right. Let uh, let everybody know where you're at on Twitter and the Face Spaces and the My Tweets and whatevers. Uh, you know. So uh, you can again, you can find Defensive Security on the internet at www.defensivesecurity.org. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow uh, me on Twitter at MaliciousLink and Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. Uh, how about you? Let's see. Mr. Betcher is at BetcherPwned. That's uh, B-O-E-T-T-C-H-E-R-P-W-N-E-D. I, I, just have to, I just have to say, that is a fantastic Twitter handle. His Gmail is oh, BetcherNotSecure. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. I mean, I, I got breaks. I got the whole break thing. So um, I'm at Brian Break. I'm not fancy. B-R-Y-A-N-B-R-A-K-E. Uh, you can get us at BreakingSecurity.com. My last name, I-N-G, Security.com. Um, we're on Tumblr, L-O, Facebook. Got about 4,800 followers on Facebook. Uh, Google+, Plus. pretty much any social network except Pinterest because that's where Bored Housewives go for recipes. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Well, we will not be sponsored by Pinterest <laughs> yes. anytime soon. That's right. <laughs> well, you guys, you you didn't make that comment necessarily yet. So, well, that was it for the first annual breaking down security, defensive security uh, extravaganza. So, uh, yeah, thank you, gentlemen. It, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and thank you for uh, taking your time out to to be on our our little podcast here. And uh, and we're grateful for being on yours. Well, likewise, thank no, you, thank and you. happy holidays. Right on. Indeed. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. Take care, Take care everybody. Bye. Later. Thanks for listening to our joint episode with Breaking Down Security. We will return next week with a normally scheduled episode. And uh, until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.